Have you ever noticed how we've become so good as a society at deflecting blame? I mean, no one's at fault anymore. In fact, we've become so good at it, we have a politically correct name we call it. We, we call it spinning. You see, if, if a politician or a, a company messes up and they fail in some way, they, they don't admit it, they just spin it. You know, they, they change the conversation. They, they change the word so that it doesn't look like they're at fault anymore. They gather together their, their uh, social media people. They gather together their marketing department and say, how can we spin this? Instead of looking and trying to figure out what they did wrong and how they could change it and fix the problem, they just spin the failure. They just spin the issue. And if you're not good at it, you actually, there's an industry you can go to. They have what we call spin doctors. You can go get one for yourself and maybe spin some of the failures you've had in your life. And I want you to know it's, it's not true. It's true not only in society. It, it's true in our own personal lives. None of us like to admit failure. We, we don't like that. I don't like that. But why is it that instead of just admitting failure and, and repenting from it and changing the way, what do we do? We, so oftentimes we do one of three things or sometimes we do all three of them. First thing we're going to do is we, we try to blame others about our failure. That's the first thing we do. And then sometimes, instead of just blaming others, we'll, we'll just totally dismiss the message. That, that message is not relevant. I, I, that doesn't apply to me. Or, or finally, if neither one of those two work, then what we'll do is we'll actually, we'll discount the messenger. That person's not worthy of pointing out my failure. I want you to know it's true in our society. It was true back in the society of which Amos was speaking, the nation of Israel. We're going to be looking at that today, and like last week when he told us, we, we found out last week there's great power in humility, and there's destruction in pride. We found out in chapter 6 that it said that, that God abhors, he, he hates pride, but he gives grace to the humble. And today you're going to see that not accepting blame, not accepting failure and repenting from it, it's nothing more than just pride. And so Amos is going to continue on with this discussion about put aside your pride and, and listen to God and admit your failures, repent from them. And that's what the message is that he has for Israel, but this morning for two specific, very powerful leaders in Israel. So turn with me if you would. We're going to be looking, we're going to be picking up our, our sermon series in Amos 7, 7 through 9. And so we'll read together and then we'll comment about it a little bit. Amos says this, this is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, Behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid to waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Now, if you remember last week, we, we covered all of chapter 6 and then the first six verses of chapter 7. And in those first six verses of chapter 7, Amos has two visions. The first vision was this, that locusts were going to come upon the nation of Israel and eat up all of its crops, destroy all of its crop, and there'd be famine in the land. And then the second vision that he had, he talked about fire coming down, and it was an imagery of the fact that there was going to be a great drought in the land, and that the land was going to be made barren and dried up, and even the wells were going to be dried up. But if you remember from our teaching last week, 
uh, Amos humbled himself and he prayed to God. And when he prayed to God, God relented. Well, now this is the third vision that he has that we picked up in chapter, I mean, verse seven of, of chapter seven. And what he sees is he sees God, the Lord himself, standing by a tall, straight wall, and he's holding a plumb line. Now, some of you may not be aware of what a plumb line is. If you're in construction, you'll know what a plumb line is. A plumb line is a long string, and it has a weight down at the bottom, and usually that weight is pointed so it can point to a specific place. If you tie that string up high off at a place and you let it hang free, ultimately, gravity will pull it so it's absolutely perfectly perpendicular. And now you can build a wall. You can line every brick up against that plumb line and it'll be strong. It'll stand because it's perfectly perpendicular and straight. This is great imagery for Israel. What Amos is saying here, God is saying, I had laid out a plumb line. I had laid out a way for you to build your nation brick by brick according to my plumb line. But you guys have gone away from that plumb line. Let me explain to you what he was talking about. You remember that Jeroboam was the king of Israel. Uh, there were two parts to the kingdom. Uh, now I'm gonna give you a little history and kind of catch you up a little bit. But there were two kingdoms. The Northern Kingdom in Samaria was the capital city of Samaria. And then down at the South, there were the two tribes, 10 tribes in the North, two tribes down in the South. And Jerusalem was the capital of Judea. Uh, and in this area down here, there's Judah and there is Israel. Now they were at enmity with one another. They had split, but it goes all the way back to King Solomon. Now I know that we think that King Solomon's all wise. He did write you know, the incredible book of Proverbs in our Bible. We read about his wisdom and all of that. But if you go back to 1 Kings and you read about Solomon, you're gonna find out he made a lot of stupid moves. One of them, of all things, he married 700 wives. Now, I don't know about you. I have a wonderful wife. I love her dearly, but one is all I can handle. He had 700 wives. Doesn't sound real smart to me. But not only did he have 700 wives, they came from what God called pagan nations, nations that weren't from the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And God had forbidden that in the law of Moses. So here he is disobeying God, a king over Israel, and he had had these 700 wives. And what did he do? They brought in all this pagan worship. And so during that time, Solomon began to build temples of pagan worship all over Israel. It angered God. And God said, I'm gonna divide these nations, 10 to the north. I'm gonna take them out of your hand, Solomon. And as a matter of fact, his son Rehoboam was now the king over the southern and Jeroboam was the king over the northern kingdom. God actually placed Jeroboam in that kingship. He selected him, but he said to him, if you go over to 1 Kings, he said to him, I want you to rule like your grandfather. I want you to rule like David because he kept my commandments. And if you do, then I will bless you. But no sooner had Jeroboam got into power than he begins to lay his bricks off the plumb line. You may remember in some earlier messages that the first wrong brick he laid was the fact that he didn't want his people going down to Jerusalem into worship because he was afraid he would lose them. If his servants, his constituency went down to the south, they may just stay there. And so in the south was the temple. 
And that's where in Deuteronomy 12, God said, I want you to worship in one place. I want you to worship me because I'm going to reside in the temple in Jerusalem. But what does he do? He builds two temples, one up in the north in Dan and one down in Bethel. Now at first, you know, if you think about it, why is building two temples so bad? I mean, it's only barely off. It's only a degree or two off as we're building against the plumb line. I mean, wouldn't it be more convenient if you lived up in the north to go to Dan or to come down to Bethel instead of traveling all the way? You know, why not? Why is this, uh, why is this wrong, God? Well, I'll tell you why it's wrong. Because God said it in his word. God set a plumb line. He said, I want you to build your brick this way. And so he laid the first brick of disobedience. Then the next brick he lays on top of that. Well, God resided in the Holy of Holies in the temple there in Jerusalem. And so God wasn't going to go to Dan and God wasn't going to be at Bethel. So what does he do? He, he builds golden calves and he puts one in the north and he puts one in the south and Dan and Bethel. And he says, this represents God. My gracious, another uh, act of disobedience. And now one brick laid on top of another brick. And just like in any construction project, when you get off plumb, the higher you go and the more bricks of disobedience that Jeroboam was laying one on top of the other, it was going to lead to destruction and the wall was going to fall down just like it would in construction. And so Amos has come to call them out. Amos has come to say, you're not measuring up to the plumb line. And you're going to hear their response that when Amos calls them out, so let's go look, if you would, at Amos 7, 9 again. Who are the people who are responsible for this mess? Who are the people that have caused the nation of Israel to walk away from God? He calls them out. We read it in verse 9. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid to waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword. Two different things. He says the sanctuaries of Israel are going to be laid to rest. Who's in charge of the sanctuaries? Well, it's the high priest. The priests are in charge of the sanctuary. And then the high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. And I'm going to rise against the house of Jeroboam. Not only was their political leadership messed up, but also their religious leadership was messed up. And he calls out these two men. Amos calls them out. I mean, Amos certainly wasn't shy. He wasn't trying to make friends in high places. No, he calls out the two most powerful men in all of Israel, and they don't like it. And so what do they do? Well, let's pick up our text in uh, Amos 7, 10 through 13. It says this, Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all of his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. I want you to know they knew they had messed up, they had failed and they began to spin this thing. They began to do what you and I do. The very first thing they do is they try to cast blame somewhere else. That's what he was saying right there when he said this. He says, and Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, flee away from the land of Judah and eat bread there. Prophesy there. I think what he was saying there, he's saying, what are you talking about, Amos? Have you looked down at Judah? 
you do remember that you have the King Rehoboam there, the, the, the son of Solomon. He, there's pagan temples everywhere they've set up. Why are you coming up here and picking on us? Listen, they're more sinful than we are. They've messed up more than we have. All those 700 wives, those pagan wives, why pick on us? And so they started blaming others, deflecting their own failures, deflecting their own failures and, and placing it on someone else. If I can just blame someone else, then surely they'll be the ones to, at fault. And here's the first truth that I want us to learn from this, because we all fail. But when we're confronted with our failure, don't blame others. When we're confronted with our failure, don't blame others. Sit back, listen, accept what they're saying, listen to them and find out what you've done wrong so you can repent, so you can turn back to God. I see this so often in marriages. I don't know, maybe because I have gray hair and I'm one of the uh, elder statements, statements, statesmen here at uh, Fielder Church. I get the privilege of doing a lot of premarital counseling, but I also get the privilege of doing some marriage counseling. So often when people come in and there's a great divide among them, they've come to a place that they can't even talk to one another. They're so angry. And it's over some issue that's really typically not very large, but they've taken up sides. I'll hear them. This one will blame the wife and the wife will blame the husband. And they're certain that if they'll just change, everything will be happy. If he'll do it right or she'll do it right, they're the ones that wrong. I'm the one that's right. And I always do this. I always get them telling me, get out a sheet of paper and pencil. In fact, if you have one with you right now, you may want to write down the second truth. I gave you that first truth. When confronted with failure, don't, don't blame others. But here's a truth that's just for free I'll give to you. I give it to every couple that I'm counseling. It's this. I can't make you love me, and I can't make you change, but I can choose to love you, and I can choose to change. I hope you get that. I, I can't make you love me and I can't make you change, but I can choose to love you and I can choose to change. Listen, folks, if we learned that in our marriages, listen, you, you can't fix him, wife. And wife, you can't fix him and he can't fix you. At the end of the day, all we have is the ability to choose to love and the ability to change so that our marriages and our relationships might be right. I want you to know it's true not only in marriage, it's true in all of life, in every relationship. You can't change someone else. You can blame them all you want to. You can try to deflect that blame, but if we'll just look, and typically when I have success in marriage counseling, when they'll just stop and say, what part do I have in this? What part do I have in this failure? What, what do I need to do? You'll be amazed what God will do. And then if you'll change yourself, and you'll accept the blame and you'll humble yourself and say, oh God, help me change. Then I want you to know, then God can work in you to willing to do his good pleasure. So the first thing is whenever confronted with failure, listen, don't blame others. But here's a second response I see from Amaziah that he does. When he, con when he was confronted with failure, he just dismissed the message. And that's the truth I want you to write down. When confronted with failure, don't dismiss the message. I mean, look back at verse 13. Amaziah says to Amos, never again prophesy at Bethel. In other words, what he's saying, hey, we don't, we don't preach like that here at the first church of Bethel. That, that's not what we preach. We, we preach a different message. We, we preach a message that everybody feels good. Don't, don't be bringing that in this house. That's not a message that's relevant for us. And I want you to know you're gonna find out in a minute 
that he was illegitimate. He, he was illegitimate in who he should have been. He, he wasn't the priest he needed to be. He wasn't preaching truth in the message. And so Amos is saying to him, I got a message for you. And he dismisses that message. Listen, he, he doesn't want to hear truth. He doesn't even want his people to hear truth because it would be a message that's sometimes confrontational. You and I do the same thing. We pick out churches sometimes where we get to hear a message that makes us feel good instead of the message that we need to hear. So oftentimes when a friend or someone confronts us about a failure, we, we just dismiss the message. That's not relevant to me. I don't, I don't want to hear that. But listen again, one more time. If, if you just listen to the message and you'll allow God to speak. Listen, I, I, I feel condemnation sometimes as a preacher. I feel this sense. I, I want people to like what I say. I want you to like what I say. I want you to like me, but that isn't what I'm called to. I'm called to preach the word of God and preach a word of confrontation sometime to you. And I know in this messages from Amos, you felt beat up because Amos is beating up Israel. But if we'll just stop and listen and just not write the message off and we'll listen to what God has to say and then humbly respond, I want you to know, God can change your life. He can turn your failures into victory, like what we've sung about already. I also see in our text this morning another response that Amaziah had. And here's a third truth. When confronted with failure, don't discredit the messenger. Let me say that again. When confronted with failure, don't discredit the messenger. And you see that again here in verse 13. Amaziah says this, he says, he says, never again prophesy at Bethel, for don't you know it's the king's sanctuary and it's the temple of the kingdom. I think if we put it in modern day vernacular, you, you would hear Amaziah saying to Amos, he said, and, and who do you think you are? I, I mean, do you get who I am? I, I'm like the high priest of Bethel. I, I'm talking about the biggest church in all of Israel. I've earned this faith. Now, let me remind you who you are. You're just a shepherd and a little fig farmer. That's who you are. And, and why in the world should I listen to you? And don't you see that in society today? I've seen it all around. Should I take the vaccine, not take the vaccine? It's all about who said it. It's not about what truth is. We dismiss the messenger depending on what side of the fence we're on. I, I don't know what all truth is, but what I do know is I should listen to the message, not because of who said it, because of the message of whether it's truth or not. Listen, we need to not dismiss confrontation. We need not to dismiss when sometimes there's truth being spoken just because we don't like the messenger. I want you to know there's, as a pastor, sometimes I, I get emails, not often, but I'll get an email because someone doesn't like the way I'm leading, or perhaps they don't like the message that I'm preaching, and they'll write me a letter. And you know what my first response is? I hate to admit it to you. My first response is to actually, I, I discredit the messenger. Oh gosh, I'll say, well, well, that person's not faithful. They don't come that much. I hadn't seen them in church and I don't know how long. Or I might look at their involvement, their generosity. I might look and see who are these people. And I won't even listen sometimes, but I want you to know as I've gotten older, I've learned the truth. I've learned that there's some measure of truth in every criticism that I receive. If I'll just stop and listen and say, oh God, help me not be defensive. Help me not blame this on somebody else. Help, help me not to dismiss the message. Help me to listen, to, even though this messenger is someone I don't know that I should listen to. Father, I want to listen to you. And I've found that there's truth in just about every criticism I get. 
It's not wholly true. It might only be 5% truth, but it's a truth that I need to hear. And I don't need to dismiss my failures just because the messenger may not be somebody I approve of. But I love Amos's response, don't you? I, I love how Amos responds. Look, look at Amos 7, 14 through 16, how he responds to Amaziah and all his deflection. Verse 14, and then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I mean, I think Amos is saying something like this. He's saying, you know what? I think you're right, Amaziah. I know who I am. I have no idea why God chose me. You're right. I am a fig farmer. That's what I do. And not only that, I don't just farm figs. I also just watch a few sheep. I have no idea why God picked me. But here's what I do know. God chose me. He ordained me. He, he anointed me and he has a word for you and I'm just sharing with you the word of God. And when God speaks, you better listen. Man, is there any more power than that? I, somehow I think that, uh, that maybe Amos had one more word and he said, and, and can I just remind you, you are nothing more than an illegitimate prophet picked by some king who's been messing it up all along. Can I tell you who I am? I have been commissioned and I have been ordained by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hey, put that on your wall and frame it, buddy. I think he was just like, oh yeah, I can show you what I'm talking about. If you look over, go back to 1 Kings, where I told you, if you read all of Kings 12, uh, 1 Kings 12 through 14, you get all of this, but part of you'll realize how unqualified even the, this high priest was to even speak back to Amos. It's uh, 1 Kings 12, uh, verse 29. Here's what it said. He's talking about uh, Josiah here. I, I mean, he's at Jeroboam here. And he set one in Bethel. What he was talking about is that golden calf I was telling you about. He set one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people, went as far as Dan to become one, to be before one. They went all the way to Dan to worship. He also made, being again, King Jeroboam, he also made temples on high places and he appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. You see, if you go back and you read the law in Deuteronomy, you'll see that God commanded that all of the priests should come from the tribe of Levi. And here is an illegitimate priest saying to him, hey, listen, we don't need to speak from you. We don't need to hear from you. you you're not even anointed by God. You're not even one of God's chosen. And what, is God, what does he say back? I'll tell you who is chosen. It's me. God has chosen me and God has anointed me to speak your word. And I think there's like a, a bonus truth here that you get out of that. And it's this. You may want to write this down. When commissioned and anointed by God to speak his truth, don't be intimidated. When commissioned and anointed by God to speak his truth, listen, don't be intimidated. If you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you because you're a faith in Jesus Christ, you have been commissioned by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to carry the gospel around the world. And it doesn't matter where that may be. No one is more powerful than you. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. 
You have been chosen and you have been anointed and he will equip you to do and say whatever you need to do as long as you speak truth, the word of God. Listen, we've become so timid as the church. We've become so timid as the people of God. We've been intimidated by a world that says we should shut up, that we should, we're intolerant. Can I just tell you, the gospel is confrontational sometimes. Why? Because it says all of us are sinners. All of us haven't lived up to the plumb line. And that's confrontational, and people don't like that confrontation. But in love, we can share the truth. We should always love. Our motivation should be love. The Bible says speak the truth in love, but we should go without being intimidated. And don't let anybody silence you because you've been commissioned and you've been anointed by the Holy Spirit to go and share the truth. God's the one that convicts. You're just his messenger. So I hope you'll see that when commissioned and anointed by God to speak his truth, don't be intimidated. And whenever you're confronted with, with your own failure, humbly don't pass the buck. Don't, don't blame someone else. Don't dismiss the message and, and don't discredit the messenger because God abhors proud, the pride, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we don't do that, can I just tell you just like just like Jeroboam and just like this illegitimate priest, we are going to face destruction. Let's see what happened to them. Amos 7, 16 through 17, as we finish up our text, I want you to see what the, God, what the Lord God said was going to come upon them because they didn't measure up to the plumb line. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife, excuse me, let me go back to 16. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. And therefore, thus saith the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall go into exile away from the land. Listen, because these two men were too proud to listen, they were too proud and too stubborn to repent and see their own failure. Because they refused to listen to God and listen to his prophet Amos, they came to a great demise. You're gonna know that, uh, you should know that 40 years after Amos spoke these words, that the Assyrians came down. They defeated the, the, the nation of Israel. And of course, Jeroboam was killed in the process. And here's this high priest, Amaziah, he was so proud of himself, proud of his family, proud of his position. And now what happens? His wife is, has been relegated to being a prostitute in the streets. His children have been murdered and he himself has been carried off and he died in a distant land. Listen, we're all gonna fail. But when someone, especially a person of God comes and points out your failure, just humble yourself before the Lord. Repent. Say, oh God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I need you. I can't do this life without you. I can't live up to that plumb line. And that's where I'd like us to end up today, to go back to that verse where it talks about that vision that it talks about the plumb line. You see, there is a plumb line in life. You and I don't measure up. We can read that. If you go to Romans 3.23, you'll read the verse that says this. It says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is a plumb line, and that plumb line is perfection. And I know we're not perfect. Scripture tells us we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And unfortunately, sin leads to destruction. 
Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. You see, there was only one person who ever has measured up to that plumb line and it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He stepped out of heaven and he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live. And he, brick by brick, built a perfect life and he was always obedient to the Father and he never sinned. And even though he didn't have to, he took your sins and my sins on himself and he took the fall. Instead of our wall falling, us being eternally sentenced to exile away from God, what has happened we get to take on his righteousness. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, this morning, I, I, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just here to tell you the message of God. You're a sinner in need of grace. You haven't lived up to the plumb line of God and his plumb line is perfection. But here's the good news. Someone did it for you and someone took your fall and someone took your place on a cross and he's inviting you to replumb your life through his sacrifice, through his death and through his resurrection. You can have the righteousness of God and you can be a part of the family of God. Listen, this morning, he's calling you to himself. But it's the only way that happens is through Jesus Christ. He himself said, I'm the way, the truth. I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I, we invite you to be a part of the family of God. We invite you to replumb your life so that you will be right with God. Maybe today you don't understand all of that. We have pastors who would love to visit with you. So if you'll just text the word next step to 94253, you'll see the, the number there on your screen. Text the word next step and, and we'll have someone reach out to you. There's a small form that you need to fill out. Fill that form out. That allows us, people like me, to call you and we'll just have a conversation about your life and how God can change your life through ever, forever through Jesus Christ, his son. Now, I know a lot of people watching, many of us, many of us have already made that decision that we have accepted the righteousness of Christ through faith, but we still mess up. We, we still stack up bricks of disobedience. And so we get off plumb. Even though we've been saved, we, we get off plumb. Can I tell you how we need to get back in line with God? It's through confession. The Bible tells us in 1 John, it says this, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you and I are gonna mess up. We're gonna fail. And the answer to that failure is confession. Also, you can go over to James 5 and it says this, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. And so today, maybe you know in your life, you're, you're, you're not living in plumb. You're off the line. You need to get your life back in order. It's been a long time since you got back in line with God. And today, I just ask you to fall on your face before God. Confess your sin to him. And then I'd invite you to do something that might feel a little strange to you. There at home, you can text the word prayer to that same number, 94253. If, you, if you'll text that word prayer, pastors will either call you and see if you want to pray on the phone, or we can text back and forth and we can pray for you. And I, we're not here to judge you. Listen, we're mess ups too. We don't line up with the plumb line of God. But what we can do, we have the Holy Spirit in us and we can pray for you that you might be healed and you might get in right standing with God. Listen, don't be 
like that evil king, Jeroboam. Don't be like that pompous high priest. No, acknowledge your failures today. Acknowledge your failures, confess them to God, repent, and humbly allow God to bring you back in plumb with Almighty God. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and I know of nothing that reminds us more about the wonderful sacrificial gift of Jesus Christ that allowed us to have a way to get our lives plumbed with God than to take that Lord's Supper. So right now, while some of you go and get those elements to prepare, I want to invite some of you to text that word next step to that number 94253 or text the word prayer right now. Or maybe if you're at a place where you can just get on your face before God and just pray. You can begin to say, oh God, forgive me. I'm a failure. I'm a mess up. It's nobody else's fault. I hear the message you're speaking to me today. It doesn't matter that some old gray-haired man saying it. It's the fact that you're speaking and you're using him to speak to me. Listen, He's a good, good father who loves you and wants to redeem you and he wants to forgive you. So now as we sing, Kyle's gonna come, you pray with the Lord. You humble yourself before him. And then in a moment, we'll take the Lord's Supper.